In this episode of Beyond the Check, we continue our conversation with Golden State Warriors President of Basketball Operations and General Manager Bob Myers. At its core, I think you've got people that are really unselfish. They care more about others than themselves. You know, they, they, they want to succeed in something beyond just their own personal success. They want it to be a team thing. If you didn't need the money, would you still show up to your job? Well, would you? Hello, I'm John Weems. I've spent half of my career in the business world and the other half in full-time spiritual guidance as a pastor. I respect people of all views and am not here to tell you what to believe. I am here to encourage you to think beyond the check. Welcome to this podcast in which we talk about work, life, and the meaning of both. You'll hear from a wide range of business people from all spiritual views. Last time we heard Bob Myers, MBA Executive of the Year and champion many times over, share his definition of success as for the people who know you the best to love you the most. Today, we'll hear more about how his faith and integrity helps drive the warrior's success. So we, we've talked about, about character, hard work, perseverance. Uh, how have your experiences and how do your faith inform your decision when it comes to, to personnel decisions and, and staff Obviously, the, for those who don't know, the Warriors are, are noted for team chemistry and egos being checked by comparison to, to many other high-level teams. How do you approach that? Yeah, I mean, we have when you work with whatever we work, we have about forty people in basketball operations, um, players, coaches, strength coaches, people in my front office, and that that's a variety of backgrounds, different demographics, different ethnicities, different religious beliefs. Um, but what is a common thread and what I think we could all learn from is finding uh, the right fabric of person, the right character, the one that when adversity comes maintains composure. And I don't mean composure on the court. I mean composure off the court too. Like who who are you? What are your core principles? Where do they come from? Because we can't hear, um, and we wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend it, um, put a certain faith on anybody, belief we're very encouraging about exploring what feels authentic to you, and we're very, um, I think, accepting of different uh, ways to live. But what we ask our employees to do is to, and, and the people in the basketball group and players included, I'm an employee, um, to represent this organization in the right way, to understand that you're part of something bigger than yourself. I feel like we're almost more stewards to a community and fan base than we are anything else because you don't have to go outside and you'd be blind if you didn't see that there's a mass of people that look towards us for something different than they would a normal company. So we have this uh, place in all this that I think requires a different responsibility. So when we, when you look at faith, um, you can ascribe a lot of different things to that word. I think in our uh, company here or our basketball operations, or you know, you've got a variety of different beliefs, um, and you've got a variety of people and different strength and more some conventional, some less conventional. But at its core, I think you've got people that are really unselfish. They care more about others than themselves. You know, they they. They want to succeed in something beyond just their own personal success. They want it to be a team thing. Fortunately, when a lot of companies use that word team, we have a team, right? And we have 
a team of people that support the team, but we are a team in its truest sense. We're, we're a sports team. Um, so we all have to be aligned in some basic ways. It doesn't have to be we're all, um, we're all prescribing to a certain faith. You know, that's not how we have to be aligned. We do have to be aligned that I respect your beliefs. I don't think mine are any better than yours. I don't think you're any worse than me. Mm-hmm. This is the path I'm choosing. And there's great strength in that. And I think understanding as we evolve um, in our own faith that I'm not sure the best way to do it is to critique or demean another's faith. Uh, I think if we can all be a little more accepting and curious. Mm-hmm. And I think, again, we're, I'm lucky that I work in a very diverse environment. I work with people that didn't grow up like I did or go to high school like I did. Or some I was talking to Omri Caspi who was raised in Israel. What a great opportunity. I don't know that I would have met someone in any other profession that was Israeli and served in the army and, and you know, can talk to me about what it's like to be there and what it's like to be there in the Jewish faith and things like that, that I don't belong to, but wow, it's such an interesting thing. Um, and, and, and I think we can all learn, but, but I think there's an openness you have to bring, right? I don't think we, if I could answer that concisely, I'd say we are not a closed off space here. Uh, we are open to pursuing our own beliefs, but we are open to respecting people that don't prescribe to conventional religion, people that do, uh, people that are still searching, people that are more just uh, spiritual in a, in a different way. Um, that's how we blend together, and that's how we function. And I think it gives everybody a sense of feeling good about it, right? I mean, it's what I think we all seek out it's what's great about our country you know you 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 get to choose and you you also i think should respect that as an individual and so that's kind of how we go about it here so as uh, as well documented one of your uh, better known uh, players steph curry has part of a philippians verse on his shoe i can do all things Uh, how how does steph knowing that there is an openness to people of all faiths how do his core beliefs influence the organization Steph is, um, I think, again, like when you, when, you, when you look at people and look at leaders, I think what you want to see in somebody, what you want to follow, what we all want to follow, again, is, is authenticity, that someone that um, is, it's clear to see if you know him or even if you don't know him. I think it's clear on both counts. It's hard for me to separate because I know him. But even when, you, when people can see a humility in him, without shaking his hand and having a 15-minute conversation. You can see it when you watch him. You can see a strength. You can see a faith. And you can see a respect for his teammates. You can see a respect for his coach. And so as he moves through his life, he's very clear in, in his beliefs, and that provides him great strength. But at the same time, he's also conscious of what I just discussed, which is my beliefs don't have to be more important than anybody else's. Because if I think he did that, he wouldn't be the same guy. Um, So I think he's got a healthy regard for uh, what he's doing, and he's very clear in that path, which is fantastic. But at the same time, recognizing that, you know, there's people that come to their journey in different ways. There's people that move in and out of faith in different ways that they, uh, and he hasn't, you know, he's, 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 he's clear. But I'm sure he learns and grows and changes and maybe one day it's a step back and two steps back one step forward i don't know 
but I do know that he has two great parents. He's got a great family. He's got a great wife, great kids, and his faith is important, and I think everybody's aware of that, and I think he also walks it in a way where he says, this is uh, what works for me, as does, you could, you could say, I could talk about any of our players, um, and they have their own kind of inner compass that guides them. And, and you know, from your profession, you know much better than I do, that people have different varying degrees of strength um, and conviction, and something happens to them, good or bad, and it changes, you know, and then you say, well, what, you have to understand it's bigger than this one thing, but we're people, right? We react to things differently. So I think um, as, as I observe him, what I, what I would learn from him if I'm listening or if I'm watching a guy like that is he's very comfortable in the way he's living his life. And I think he's, and that includes, you know, trying to find his way in this celebrity and all those things. It's not easy, but um, I don't think he's tormented. I don't think he's conflicted. I think he's doing as well as it can be done as far as I've got my faith, I've got my family, I've got my career, I've got my friends. And it takes, he takes great care of those things. They're very important to him. Yes. Uh, you, you've been uh, publicly commended uh, by by players, by Steve Kerr, by others for, for caring for them in a way that's above and beyond the job, whether it's with Steve's uh, back struggles or other player injuries. Say more about what, what drives that, uh, going, going above and beyond when it comes to, to caring. Yeah, I don't, think, I don't think I'm doing anything above and beyond. I mean, I, I, it's nice that people would say that, but I think I'm just trying to be – the humanity of our team is more important than whatever else is going on. Right. I mean, I think that uh, at, at the end of it all or at the beginning or in the middle of it all, we're just people and we are not machines. They're not robots out there playing basketball. They're they're guys and they've got they have hard days. They have situations that are difficult. They sometimes they play well, sometimes they don't. Sometimes they get hurt, sometimes they don't. Um, but the favorite part for me of coming to work and it should be for you. It should be for anybody. It's the people you work with. I mean, that should, you should care about them. You really should. And you can't, you can't have a relationship with 100 people. But the people you work mostly with, they, you know, it's, it's, uh, they should matter in a different way. I mean, the, it, it, would almost be, it would almost be cruel to show up at work and not care uh, what was going on with someone outside of their job. It would almost be just a mean thing to do. I mean, if you showed up at work and somebody said, things are difficult at home, and you said, yeah, that's great. Give me the report that, uh, <laughs> that uh, I asked you to get done. I mean, that, that, that doesn't even make sense. But that happens more often than the other. Unfortunately, it doesn't happen in that type of manner, that obvious. But I think we, who, for you, it's the people you work closely with, they should probably know how many kids you have. They should probably know where you're from. I mean, I, and, and what people lose sight of is, that will make you function better as a company, as, a, as your own team. It doesn't mean you have to go off to barbecue and go to dinner every night. But how often now, especially with cell phone deals and text messages and our, our short attention spans, do people just say, hey, how are you, you doing? Simple, like, how are you doing? Um, I'm waiting here for an answer. It might be an answer that's going to take 10 minutes. Yes. But it's not, hey, you doing all right? Good, good, good. What? I didn't even get to answer your question. Like, are you doing all right? You good? Good. Um, 
no, I'm not good, but I guess you didn't give me a chance to tell you that, right? I mean, so I think uh, in any profession, in any business, in any company, in any group of people, when you can somehow understand, first you need to understand in order to empathize. When you are in your profession, you took time to get to know people, you take time to get to know people, uh, because when their problems arise, you need some equity in that relationship. It can't just be, and it, sometimes it is for you, somebody shows you up, you've never shook their hand, never looked in their eye, and they go, I got to talk to you, I got a problem. You still are there for them, but what about the person that you've built that equity up with, and then something occurs and you go, okay, I, now I can approach this and be so much more helpful, or we have equity, where this person trusts me, can be open with me. It's the same way in work. And so I would want that from my peers. Otherwise, what are we doing? You know, what, I don't, so, so we win, we lose, and I don't know the people that I'm doing it with, and it's all a mercenary, cutthroat. It doesn't, it doesn't take on the same meaning. And so, you know, that's how I look at it. How, how do you take care of your, your less prominent players, of your, your support staff, uh, other people who you know, may not make it on cameras? Uh, how do you create a, a culture of care for them? I don't, you know, I wouldn't, I know you didn't mean it in this way, but like less, imp- I don't view any of them as less important as anybody else. I mean, I, I think a great way to approach any profession or any, uh, anything you're doing in your life is to not think you're any better than anybody else, but not think you're any worse. Just because I'm older or have a different title or whatever um, resume anybody has, they are not a better human being than someone that hasn't had that opportunity or hasn't accomplished those things. It doesn't mean that somebody 10 rungs below you on the ladder doesn't have the right answer. So I'm open to getting to know and soliciting advice from people that aren't at my whatever title level here. Uh, so if it's a player, if it's, it's always, everybody brings something, right? If, if you and I and 10 other people got in the room and they have these places where you write, you got to solve a problem, right? You go to these San Francisco has them. Like yes. you, you go to these rooms and the they escape say, room. Yeah, escape room. So if there's six of us in there, does it really matter if you're older, you're younger, you're a woman, you're black, you're white, um, you went to Stanford, you didn't go to college? You're all going to say, what do you think? Otherwise, you're wasting that resource, right? And, and by the way, that happens all the time in meetings and stuff like that. I can't, I don't want to hear from this guy. He, he's, not, he's not in the executive team, so he doesn't know what he's talking about. So we miss these opportunities. So for me, I'm always thinking of if I'm interacting with somebody, what, what can I be taught in this moment? I'm, there's a moment for that, me to be taught and learn and listen. And so whether it's with a player, an assistant coach, I don't approach it as you are more important than anybody else because I'm going to miss something positive that every, each one of us has to offer. Mm-hmm. Um, because like I said, nobody comes with nothing. It just isn't, we all bring something. Um, it's like, you know, you have your holiday dinner. It's like, who's bringing this? Well, somebody's going to bring the bread. Okay. It's not a huge task, but bread needs to be, and everybody loves the bread, right? It's not hard, and somebody's going to make the pie. It's like, what's the hardest thing to do? It, 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 you don't just throw everything at one person because they wouldn't even do it well. Uh, you're going to make the whole Thanksgiving dinner. Oh, man. I can't, I, I, the mashed potatoes aren't going to be really whipped very well, you know, because I got no time for that. Instead of being like, what can you do? What can you do? Somebody's going to set the table. Somebody's not going to cook. Yeah. So it's all about looking around the room and going, how can you pitch in? Same as our company. How can you pitch in 
And for us, it's about moving towards one goal. And some people are a greater percentage, are players, right? They're more, mostly the percentage of us winning and losing. But there's, there's edges around it, and it's always curating those too. Bob, you were, were here uh, in your office, and you have a, a John Wooden quote on a plaque on your desk that says, you can't live a perfect day without doing something for someone who will never be able to repay you. You talk a little bit about how that influences you and, and any thoughts on, on uh, UCLA, the legendary coach. John oh, man. Wooden. Yeah, he was he a was, um, great teacher. I think he would call himself a teacher. The times I got to meet him, I think he was more proud of his background in teaching, but he would call coaching teaching. Um, very thoughtful, deep guy, uh, and not caught up in. I don't think he really strived to be uh, acclaimed or famous. He just did his job and did it extremely well. And so, with a guy like him, all all I could do, all anybody should do, is just take him in. You know, he had great, great sayings, and I use one of them too. It's it's amazing what you can accomplish when no one cares who gets the credit. And that was one that I borrow because he's, <coughs> excuse me, he's just one of those rare guys. And you know, for for me, um, hearing what you said, I love the favors that can't be returned. You know, I don't like this kind of quid pro quo thing we live in. Like this unspoken, I did something for you, so. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's not even discussed now. You know, you do something for somebody and they call you a month later and they go, I kind of need to. And you go, all right, I get it. That's the deal. I kind of like when I can do something for somebody and I, there's no way they can. I don't want it. I don't need it. I don't expect it. Um, I think there's more of that, like what, what, what Wooden was saying, that quote. Um, favors that can't be repaid. Yes. Any, uh, any Warriors community engagement work you're especially proud of or? find a special meaning in you know i've, I've it's i fell into this <laughs> shouldn't i don't know if that's the right way to say it the san quentin uh, experience is really interesting to me i went over there again last week and um what an eye-opener you know and the obvious eye-opener right if people listening say oh san quentin you you have you been in there yes, you went in there yeah you went in there so it's eye-opening immediately and we all experience that eye-openness in our own way like what 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 sticks out for you, it was different than maybe than me, what our takeaways are, but just went in there with a group of our, our pastor, Earl Smith, who's been going in there for 30 years or something. Yes. So we did a panel, and, um, you know, it's it started, it's not really a specific Warriors thing, but it's something I've somehow, I think the best things we get involved in, we kind of, somehow we're pulled there, right? And that's another faith thing. Like, how'd you end up in, going to... It's funny, when I walked in there, there was a bunch of 49ers in there. The 49ers were going in there, and there was going to be a panel. And um, so I was there with the Warriors and another guy, Quinn Cook, who's one of our two-way players. And um, I walked in the prison, and a lot of these guys from the 49ers hadn't been in there before. And it was funny because we got through the gates, and like six or seven of the inmates came over to me. Like, hey, man, what's up? You know and I was sitting there laughing inside, thinking, these guys, what are the other people thinking? Like, Bob knows, like, all these people in San Quentin, like the inmates, you know, not, and the guards and other people. And I'm laughing, going, wow, how did I end up in a situation where, and I've, I've ran into two people outside that gotten out that have said, hey, man, 
I met you in San Quentin, which is crazy, right? And so I ask them how they're doing, and obviously that's not an easy transition. And But an example is I was in there last week talking to a guy that had been convicted at 16 years old of murder and was guilty and tried as an adult and is in San Quentin for life. And so, okay, um, everybody's going to hear that differently and have a different belief about it. So I'm sitting there talking to this guy, who I've met many times in there. And if you, if you met him right now, for the people listening at the coffee shop, you'd think he was a great guy. You really would. Just bottom line. And you would not, at, for one instance, think he had done what he did. Not for one second. And so I was asking him, I said, so um, who, who is, uh, in a situation like that, who, who represents you? He's a public defender. So I'm thinking, okay. I said, and I've been on jury duty and been on a jury and been around I'm an attorney myself, and thinking that if your son or daughter might, had been in that situation, we are hiring a thousand dollar an hour, whatever attorney, you know, yes. whatever. And honestly, they're out of prison. Like we're, we're, they may serve time and it may get downgraded, but they're, you know, 16 years old. You know, wasn't really an adult. Like. This guy didn't have that. So he's in San Quentin for his life. So he's, I'm, ask, I'm asking him these questions. I'm yes. saying, hey, so he's like, I can't afford, you know, I get, what, I get what they give me. Okay. And then I said, um, so what happens? He said, well, you know, they're learning now that the brain, the brain is not fully developed at 16, right? I said, oh, that's, he said, they're, they're finally acknowledging that. Um, and I said, he said, so that's a factor in parole. Like, I'll, I'll be able to parole. And you probably read some of this stuff yes. recently. So... I'm sitting there listening to him, talking to him, and thinking, wow. First of all, I didn't even get into what got him to 16 years old to commit a murder. Like, what his if he had grown up like I had, that's not happening. Bottom line, you're not, it's not happening. So, what happened from birth to 16? Did he have two parents? Were they sober and clean? What, what, did he have siblings? What kind of neighborhood did he grow up in? What kind of school did he go to? So you, you're witnessing these things firsthand. So it's, 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 it's helping you understand. So in the paper, either it was Saturday or Sunday, they had an article on this, on California, um, juveniles being tried as adults, and what's the right thing to do? And they're talking about, so I'm reading this going, this is, this is my own education. Yes. And how it all comes full circle is, without me having a one-on-one conversation with that guy, I see that article, probably don't read it. Right. Probably like flip by it and go San Quentin. I probably see jail and go, I don't deal with that. And I just keep moving along. Mm-hmm. Or I think, yeah, everybody in San Quentin's evil and they should be there and, you know, whatever. They're not real people anyway. So when we make ourselves like you have and when we open up to something outside of us and try to relate, not, well, I'll never relate to what he's gone through, but at least try. It allows me to see where I can be helpful or going in there and just saying, you guys matter. That's it. That's all. You showed up. Yes. You showed up there and you matter. And that's, that's enough. And then see where it goes from there. So in the position that we, I'm in with the Warriors, um, I try to do what I do. Um, that's one thing that we've been done. We went in there and played basketball with them and things like that. And it, and it gets, because of what we do, it gets attention and focuses attention on them and shows that they're people and not just, you know, these what, what, what many people think they are, which is just you know evil to the core, it shows that they're not that. 
But um, it's, uh, it's anything we do, the things we do in the community here, dedicating courts, uh, basketball courts, a place where guys can go be active and get off the streets and, and be, be in other ways positive. But our players, we do a ton of stuff, and that's the stuff that really, I think, uh, when you leave there, you feel, feel really good about. Yes. So uh, I, I've heard uh, from multiple sources that uh, you're a little competitive, <laughs> in, including uh, at San Quentin, uh, yeah. you know, full court one-on-one here. Let's you know, close here by talking a little bit about going fast in competition and going slow and finding some. Let's talk a little about the, the fast competitive part of yourself. Oh, yeah. Um, so I, I think we all, we get some things that are just ours. Right. You have a level of competitiveness that's yours. It's different than mine. And we, we will go through our life and we kind of, at a young age, you don't really know it. You just know what you are. And then you look back and go, wow, I'm actually, this is different than a lot of people. And so for me, I've always struggled to do something um, less than full effort. I've always struggled to do that. Even when I've tried. I mean, if you, if you said, let's go play basketball right now, I'd say, ah. I don't really feel like it. But, but, but once we got going, I couldn't not do my best. And I'm confident it would be a big ego boost for you if we played <laughs> basketball. But that's another matter. All right. Well, that's yeah. a different story. But in any event, um, I, it's almost like a burden sometimes because sometimes, like you said, uh, reconciling fast with slow. For me, that's been part of me that's just not liking to lose and the reason I think as I grow and get older and, and have a little bit more perspective is the reason I carry this hating to lose thing inside me is I'm always, I'm always looking at what could have been done differently, right? Let's say I played Steph Curry and he beat me 10, nothing, which he would or whatever. in one-on-one, I literally am so, um, made up of, well, if I had just, done this or that, I could have beaten him. I just, it's, it's illogical, right? But I can't help but revisit every single thing of that and say, I have to do better next time, or that wasn't good enough. Even in the face of what should have been just, Hey, I'm going to lose this anyway. Just enjoy it. I don't have that ability as much as I don't know any other way, but to compete and do my best. Uh, And certainly with basketball and, and certainly with a job. And I think the harder, the more I grow in my family and raising the kids, the, the, the harder it is to kind of understand where to put your competitiveness, kind of like in what areas, because this, I work in a job now where there are no boundaries. I could work all day and night and it'd be fine. And in a sense, that would be the best thing. Um, I think it'd be a short term and you'd burn out you'd probably kind of miss some big picture stuff. But for me, the competitiveness is kind of just part of my own fabric and it's you have to channel that in the right way but if you're competitive in your work ethic like I'm going to work as hard as I can because I I cannot stand failure without that part of it meaning I can fail and we all fail but I can't fail knowing I left some effort on the table and so that's the thing I kind of struggle with um it's in, in this profession where you're constantly looking for the minutia. How do we get 1% better? How do we get 5% better? What's going on with that guy? Maybe I can talk to him. Maybe, maybe this guy can help us. Maybe if we put this guy in a different position, he can help us. Um, you learn how to channel it 
but you, but I'm still learning those things. Um, so it's, it's a challenge. So let's counter that. How how do you balance that competitive driven can't turn it off side of yourself with the the one who takes time to to get to know someone's story in San Quentin or in the organization or or at home? How how do you find your center? How do you slow down to do that? It's good. I was going to use that last couple of words. Slow down. I I'm really that's a struggle. That's been a struggle for me. And I ran into a friend the other day, and he said his New Year's resolution for the past three years has been to just slow down. Mm. And I've thought about that more now, lately, just recently. And slowing down means um, I run into you um, in Pacific Heights, and we're at you know a coffee shop, and I just stop and go, I'm going to be five minutes late now, or I'm just going to see where this moment I'm not going to have an hour conversation with you. But I'm gonna. St- it's not gonna be. Hey, hey, John. See you later. I gotta go. It's gonna be. Hey, how about? I'm gonna. Gi- I'm gonna give that moment something, like a few minutes, whatever it requires. It's my daughter on the way out when I'm running out, and just a little bit longer of a hug. You know, uh, looking at your wife more. Um, all those things that I just flat out don't. I'm. I'm. I'm too much on to the next moment in my mind. I'm not in that. I'm too much fixated on the moment that's coming next and the moment after that, and the moment after that, instead of the moment I'm in. And so that is, has to be a conscious effort. And that's when we talk about Scott, like he lived in, in the moment, like he absolutely nailed. He was, when he was in, when he was, wherever he was, he was there. And I, I envy that because I was not that way. The last trip we had with him, um, we were walking through, we were in France and, and we were saying this little place and to walk down to dinner, we kept, we kept walking by, they had this small wine tasting, like it was like a family little wine house. Yes. And every time we walked by, we walked by it two or three times, Scott said, we got to go check that out. We got to go taste that wine. And he's like, guys, you know, and, and he was saying it to the group and I'm sitting there going, we're going to be late for dinner. The dinner reservation's at 7.30. We got to go to dinner. And I'm thinking that about sums it up. Like mm-hmm. that microcosm of how he thought and how I... And he was totally right. I was completely wrong. Um, I don't... That's why people like that are so important. To remind us that there's a moment right in front of us that requires not looking down at your phone, not on Twitter... Not on Instagram, like your life in person, living it. And it might not be an interaction with another human being. It might be, oh, my God, like I never noticed that flower was blooming right here. Like we don't even notice any. We, I mean, people don't even talk about the leaves falling anymore. It's like, eh, you don't see what's right in front of you because, one, the phone problem is out of control. Like our, our addictions to our phones is huge. Um, and I'm guilty, too. But at least acknowledging it, like this is a, this is not the course I want to set on, and slowing down and saying in in our in our slowness, we reach better fulfillment. Um, our relationships are strengthened, our clarity is strengthened, our purpose. But we are not going to check off a hundred little boxes that maybe give us a little dopamine hit that don't matter. You know, so I, I really am trying more now to say, okay, um, I'm going to get to that later or I'm going to be here now. It doesn't mean you can't be as productive. It just means you've got to be more intentional. Yes. 
Bob, thank you so much for your time. I am grateful. And for our listeners who would like to learn more about uh, Scott, once again, look up Live Your Legend, and you can learn some practical tips uh, to talk about some of the things we have covered today. Thanks again, Bob. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me, John. Thank you for joining us today. In the next episode, we'll hear a fascinating perspective from a LinkedIn executive who lives in a Zen Buddhist center in the Santa Cruz Mountains. Until then, I'm John Weems, encouraging you to keep working beyond the check.